Sword and Laser is brought to you by you. If you get a dollar's worth of value from the show, how about giving us a dollar back? Head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt, but we're not really here. We're not really here. It's sword and laser flashback. Flashback, flashback. That was an awful effect on my part. I apologize. Uh, yes, we are going to be looking at a previous episode this week, um, of course, with the release of Andy Weir's The Martian into theaters nationwide and the big success that that has had. We thought it would be fun to go back to an earlier episode, episode 171, um, in case you're counting. Yeah, we assume that with the success of his book, and uh, the movie and having Matt Damon cast to play Mark Watney and Ridley Scott directing and $55 million opening domestic gross weekend that Andy Weir is probably changed. Uh, he probably sleeps in a bed of money uh, <laughs> on top of a, of a hill in a castle, uh, possibly orbiting Earth in a space castle, um, which we used to have a space castle, but we don't anymore. However, we're going to take you back to the earlier days, the simpler days of Andy Weir and the Martian. Yep, and in fact, you get a bonus Daniel Suarez in this interview as well. Um, So it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but uh, we're excited to bring it to you. This uh, free for patrons, by the way, um, because it is a flashback episode. So don't don't worry, we're not charging you for this episode because it's a flashback, no charge, charge, uh, just because we thought you might enjoy taking a listen back. So without further ado, Andy Weir and Daniel Suarez. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. And we are here at SF in SF at the Emerald Tablet in San Francisco in the, um, where are we, North Beach? Oh, I thought you were going to ask about the room. I believe this is the cat room. (laughs) The, The lovely, lovely cat room. But more importantly, we are joined by authors Daniel Suarez and Andy Weir. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having me. Me too. You Thanks. did that thing where you introduce two people at once. And then they don't know which one to say yeah. hello to first. That was mean. I'm sorry. But you know there why? were two voices, so that's all that mattered. This is our first dual author interview. In, in person. In person. That's yeah. Right. So typically, we'd have you guys on a hangout, and then you could just interrupt each other to your heart's content. But now we have two microphones between the four of us, so that's how that works. Technology. Um, but of course, you guys are doing a speaking here tonight, or a reading, or what? what, what is planned for the event here tonight? Yeah, we're, we're sort of having a social hour, and then we're going to do readings, I imagine, and then Q&As on the books, and then more social hour. So mm-hmm. it's going to be very social. So, of course, uh, Daniel is here to promote his, the release of Influx. Yes, Influx. And Andy's here to promote the release of his first novel, right? The Martian? That's right, The Martian, my first book. So my we first actually... published book. I've, it's actually my third book. It's just the first one that doesn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> So how has the promotional tour been going? Uh, there hasn't been much of a tour. Uh, they haven't been sending me around. It's usually not useful to send an unknown writer around on a tour, because if you see somebody's name you've never heard of, oh, he's going to be in town soon. You don't care. But uh, but it's been neat to see all the promotional stuff going on, and, and doing events like these is pretty cool. And you've had a busy past couple of weeks, too, Daniel. Yeah, uh, although we don't tend to do uh, tours all around the country at bookstores. We'll do things like, you know, go to South by Southwest, be in a sci-fi panel, uh, very targeted things. Because likewise, I, I, I remember one time, I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of the author, but he was a number two New York Times best-selling author who went to see a book, uh, him at a bookstore, and there were three people there. 
and this is a, like a really big guy. So mm-hmm. sometimes book tours can be, uh, you know, bit, kind of they don't pay off. So that I really try to focus on places where I don't know. I think I can meet people who are readers in in decent numbers and also fun events. And this sounds like a fun event. And, and go ahead. Yeah, it does. And yeah, a book tour is. It's it's like the vast majority of sales now are just directly through Amazon and stuff like that. So even if you do go to a bookstore and um, there's a big crowd there to see you, you sell, what, a couple hundred books? Yeah. I mean, it's nice, but... <laughs> or they already have your book. And they brought it, and that irritates the bookstore owners. Like, oh, I already have your book because I got it on Amazon or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. Yeah. That's funny. So what do you think is the best way for an author, uh, you know, either someone who's very established or someone who's really just getting started to, to promote their books and, and to kind of get out there and meet with people if maybe book tours aren't necessarily that, that way? Well, that's a good question, and that's the million-dollar question that all aspiring authors want to know, and I don't know the answer. Um, the Martian kind of gained popularity on its own. I didn't do anything, and I don't know what I did right to make that happen, so I don't know if I can do it again, but... Uh, but you know, it was nice. <laughs> so I, I don't, I don't really have an answer to that. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny. You and I uh, both started out self-published, or was, is that true? Yeah. I, so I, I did it a few years back, and of course, it's changed completely now. I'm like a dinosaur because I actually printed a physical book and, and got it places. But uh, the same thing here. I, I feel like somebody who luckily leaped through whirling fan blades to get to the other side, and people are like, "How did you do that?" I have no idea. I think if I waited ten minutes. It wouldn't have worked, you know. Ten minutes later, but um, you just do what you like, right? It, it, it's possible that you wrote a book that's good that people like. Oh, that's, that's, <laughs> I suppose, that's, you know, that may, maybe that you have to have you. both. I mean, no kidding aside, it has yeah, to be good, and people have to find it exactly. Yeah. But but also, I will say that I wrote that book in let's say 2004, then self-published it in 2006, and it didn't get noticed for a year. So I was. Marketing, 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 and then I kind of gave up, and then it took off. It's like, so you're right. It's it's kind of hard to tell. Whereas I I I had sort of a weird story. I I the only reason I posted it on to Kindle was because um, people were sick of reading it on my website. I just had it in web pages on my on my site. I, it wasn't my intention to try to like be a professional author. And then people asked me to put it on Kindle so that they could just read it on their e-readers and. Well, there's an intermediate step. First, I um, I made an ebook version and posted that on my site, and then people didn't know how to download an ebook, or an EPUB, and put it on their Kindle. So they asked me to put it on Kindle, and then it sold well, for as as we were saying, reasons we don't understand. And then um, then then it started working its way up the the lists of the top sellers, and then it starts to snowball from there. I, I think that's a really interesting illustration of the fact that. When we talk about intellectual property in general on the internet, we talk as if, well, if it's free, it won't make any money. And what you found is, I wanted it to be free, and people were like, no, let me pay money, because you can't sell it for less than 99 cents on Kindle. That's right. I was I was forced to set the price at 99 cents. They won't let you set it any lower. They won't let you give it away for free, except for special prom- promotions that don't last very long and stuff. And um, more people bought it for, for Kindle than downloaded it for free. That's yeah. wow. That's really yeah. that's really it shows actually, you the it does make sense though if you think about it because there's a whole uh, well lubricated retail chain that that delivers it right to the device you want. Yeah, Amazon has a great reach into the readership market. I mean, well, and what I think it, what what you've done and whether this is what will work for everybody or not, I'm not saying, but what you've done, Andy, is said what you're paying for is the delivery mechanism, right? Not not the actual 
thing, the, not the object. Yeah, and to get it in your library there. By the way, apparently somebody's rolling a refrigerator down. <laughs> that's there. that's the publishing industry. They're very upset There's right like now. There's like the crashing of glass, yes. and it's like something out of a slapstick comedy. Right? <laughs> it's out, drama, and we can't see it. We're in a we're in a we're in a room with no windows, and so we just have no yeah. idea what that was, and no doors. <laughs> Yeah, where is Schrodinger's game anyway? Uh, you just gave me flashbacks to the haunted mansion at Disneyland. You're in a room with no windows and no doors. Sorry, I was just at Disneyland. Oh, that's why I'm making these references. This show not sponsored. <laughs> not sponsored by Disneyland, no. Oh, oh. I I should point out actually when I was talking about self-published, that was my first book, Demon, right. not Influx. So that's, right, sure. yeah. good point. Well, we have a ton of questions um, from our audience, actually, that we can jump into right now. Uh, the first one comes from Josh Lawrence, friend of the show. Uh, he says, for Daniel, uh, any changes in the tech world since writing Demon that greatly surprise or frighten you? Any changes that you specifically would have loved to incorporate into the novel? And I always, I've asked you this like 16 times. Yes. Am I supposed to say it Demon or Damon? Well, either one. It depends. You I keep saying say, that, but it I, can't I be true. If, if, you, if you bought the book, you can say it however right. you like, because... This is the, you say potato, I say potato. You okay. get Unix people, and they'll say Damon, and other people will but, not. So. But really, it's potato. Yeah. <laughs> really, you say. This is it. So, this is it. L- so, little Indian, so big Indian. How do each of you say G-I-F? I say GIF. I also say GIF. What? Yeah, no, get out of here. We're GIFs people. rule. Yeah, that's, what that's what it comes down that's to. What it is. Yeah. is that what yeah, it is? Because I say GIF as well. Yeah, the older you are, the more likely you are to Wait. say GIF. My brain is exploding because I just learned that my best friend and co-host Tom Merritt says it wrong. See? In my mind. Not numbered in this room. Apparently. Sometimes it's best not to ask. <sighs> you don't want to know these answers. You don't want to know the answers. So, so this question was again. I'm sorry, Josh <laughs> no, Lawrence. Um, he says, any changes in the tech world since writing Damon that greatly surprise or frighten you or any changes that you specifically would have loved to incorporate into the novel? Ah. Actually, what surprises me is how big parts of it are still very relevant. And I, I guess that's because I really tried to go down to the base you know, TCP IP architecture of the Internet that's been around for a while. Uh, I tried not to use a lot of brand names, things like that, and fads. Uh, I knew cell phones and smartphones weren't going away anytime soon. So, no, I think I'm surprised at how it's held up. But if there is a technology that I could put in it that I did not, it would be more drones and robotics. Mm, I think that's something we talked a lot about uh, the last time we had you on the show, actually, yeah. was... was yeah, because yeah. I learned so much in doing Kill Decision about swarming intelligence and everything else that I, I think, oh, Sobel would love to do this now, but... Yeah. 2020 hindsight. All right. And then we had a question for Andy as well from Josh. He says, was the film Robinson Crusoe on Mars or the original Robinson Crusoe book itself an inspiration or influence on The Martian? Well, the original Robinson Crusoe, I'm sure that's the inspiration for all man versus nature stories, pretty much. I mean, but Robinson Crusoe on Mars, no, not so much. I mean, that's a fun little sci-fi romp. It's a 1950s. For those of you who don't know, it's a movie made in the late 1950s, early 1960s, somewhere around there. Guy goes to Mars with a monkey, literally, and, and you know, he finds out, oh, it looks like I can take my helmet off because Mars apparently has a breathable atmosphere. You know, it's one of those. Yeah. And it's fine and it's fun, but no, certainly not <laughs> not an inspiration for the Martian. If 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 I had to say, you know, what were my um what were my inspirations? Apollo thirteen, uh definitely, and yeah, Robinson Crusoe slash castaway, that sort of thing. Right, right. So so we either need a monkey or a volleyball. No, <laughs> he has neither of those things in, in the book. He, he doesn't have some sort of brand name device that he refers to as a friend. No spoilers, obviously. Uh, no, he doesn't have uh, any friends, imaginary or real. 
Someone's trying to get into the room without doors. <laughs> they yeah, can't. There, there was an attempt to enter the room that failed. And so we don't know what... It, there's all sorts they'll of stuff. Be back. We're in a Stephen King novel. Basically. Basically. Yeah. There's noise. All right. So our next uh, question comes from Jenny. Uh, the first one, uh, we'll start with Andy this time. Uh, do you ever have nightmares? Uh, sure. Absolutely. Um, um, it, it, it always relates to my anxiety level in real life. You know, So if uh, times are you know, stressful for me, I'll start having nightmares that are fairly easy to analyze. <laughs> it's the, the, cat, cat. the cat is trying the, for all his life to, right to break the into the room right now. Get in, so hey, let's buddy. Let the cat in. It really is the cat. It really hey, is bud. the cat. You're strong. He's. We hey. have been invaded by a cat. The cat will want to get out. Probably. All right, well, there are five of us in the room now. The yeah. four of us plus Zeno, the cat. Until Zeno decides he very much wants to leave. Yes, I can only assume. Any moment now. So anyway, yeah, nightmares. Um, I get them. <laughs> I think we all do. Are, are there people who don't get nightmares ever? Because I envy Apparently, them. Apparently, maybe maybe Jenny, I, I, based uh, maybe, on her question. Maybe Jenny maybe doesn't. She just is very curious about I've this I always wanted to know what a nightmare was like. Do you have one? Uh, and for Daniel, uh, what kind of everyday reading do you do to keep informed on experimental slash upcoming technology, or, or how do you keep up in general? Well, I have a, a standard rotation around the internet. It, you know, I'll look at things like MIT Technology Review, TechCrunch, basically pop URLs. I'll keep track of what's coming down the feeds. Uh, but also, I will get a lot of interesting emails from readers. Uh, that's how I, – I, actually, I get connected to a lot of technologies that way. Um, also, if I've seen it, I will also see it in my inbox later that day. So I'd say that it, it, that's the social media, friends, emails, and lots of reading in, in current you know, technology. Do you use an RSS reader? I used to. I actually used to have an RSS feed. And then I, I suppose pop URLs probably runs off of that. Oh, but, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. So that's really my proxy for, for doing it because it's all in one there. I don't have to set up uh, a bunch of feeds. Also, I kept changing machines and things, and it started to be a pain. Right. And I, I, you just reminded me that I stopped doing my RSS feed. I used to have like a technology feed yeah. of things I was interested in, but social media sort of replaced that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, before we get to the next question, I do want to point out, uh, and because I, I, I want to have this question answered by Andy as well, we haven't discussed, we kind of touched on it lightly, that The Martian is very heavily researched. Hold yeah. on while we let Zeno. Uh, Zeno. Well, Zeno just wants to look and see. We can just see. leave the door open. Yeah, that's He's fine. a cat. That's what he wants. Cartoon. Uh, oh, sorry. All the uh, you did a lot of research. You tried to make the Martian. Oh, yeah. Like, it, this could possibly happen. Yeah, everything in the story is technology that really exists. It's maybe better versions of technology that exist, but there's nothing completely made up in it. So how do you keep up on that sort of thing? Oh, um, same same general thing. Um, although I don't, I don't have a bunch of feeds that I aggressively check. There's a few websites I go to. I, I, I read, I read up at JPL's website pretty much every day. Um, I love the space program in general, and <laughs> we're we're all laughing at the cat as that's happening. And this is probably going to be cut out of the podcast. The various cat-related uh, pauses are. Cats in her lap. Uh, you're probably going to get a picture. Uh, put the microphone. Put the microphone. There we go. We're getting a picture of Zeno. Live to tape, ladies. Yes. <laughs> oh, I guess. I guess I better open the apps with all the questions on it now. That's that's probably. I was so busy taking cat pictures that I that I lost track on everything. Um, uh, answering the ahead. earlier question, um, also like um, like he said, I get um, email from from friends and 
fans and whatnot about. So if if there's any story or news snippet that has anything to do with Mars, I'll have an inbox full of of that link. Oh, that's that's great actually. Yeah, well, it, it's, it it could be great. It probably is great, but at some point it could be like when you mention you like frogs, and then for years on holidays you get all the presents have frogs in them. It, it is. It's easy enough to just delete an email that's a duplicate information. Oh, what, what, uh, <laughs> what I get kind of sick of is. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to get too deep into trash talk here, but I'm, I'm kind of sick of people sending me stuff about Mars One. Um, I really think it's a joke. And um, <laughs> I, I just I, it, it annoys me that people take it seriously. I would like to hear more about your feelings <laughs> on Mars One and your trash talking in, in this area. Well, they need they have something like three hundred thousand dollars worth of funding, which is not enough money to colonize Nebraska, let alone you know Mars. And so, I mean, it all comes down to funding if you actually want to have a Mars mission, and they they would need like literally a million times as much money as they have. I mean, is, or sorry, uh, yeah, like a million. <laughs> you need about three billion. With 100 people, they want to get 100 people to colonize? Is that- uh, yeah, the, the idea is that they want to, well, they want to colonize Mars by sending ships there, and then they wanted uh, a pool of volunteers, and they got a pool of volunteers, and, and this made a bunch of national news, and I'm like, yeah, this is just not ever going to and this happen. And this was <laughs> privately funded. Yeah, that's yeah. the idea. And yeah. And to be clear, they, they have about $300,000 worth of funding, and their idea is somehow to get, like, reality TV money to Yeah, that fund doesn't it. seem like enough money. No, it's not. I mean, like, you take the, the Curiosity rover that's currently on Mars. That costs $3.5 billion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Billion. And that's just one no, little Mars rover. Yeah. That's not a, not a ship full of people. Right. So, let's see. They have $300,000 now. To get to $3 billion, that'd be 10,000 times what they currently have. And that, that was just to get one little rover. Well, it's a pretty big rover. But they want to have, like, a civilization there. I just... Mm-hmm. I mean, I could talk about this all day, but I, I, I just... <laughs> people need to stop taking it seriously. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, speaking of things that we should definitely take seriously, Tamahome wants to ask Daniel, uh, where is my flying car? Oh, well, yeah. The, the, <laughs> I know, that's my fault. Uh, the BTC would have it, obviously. Uh, you know, uh, that's the, the antagonist in influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's, that would be my answer. I would say this, though. Uh, many times, you sort of sit back and think, you know, we were going to the moon back in the, in the 60s and 70s. It's like, why don't we have that? And we do have flying cars. It's just, it's not practical. And anytime I drive around a city like Los Angeles and you have a lot of people not using their turn signal, mm. you could imagine how much worse it would get if we all had flying cars. That is actually the thing so, that I come back to yeah. each time is that people are terrible drivers yes. on the ground. So give them a whole other dimension and it'll be even worse. On the flying uh, robot cars. <laughs> we'll see. That, flying that, self-driving. That's more workable. That's right, yeah. Self-flying cars. Self-flying, self-flying cars. cars. That's right. Yeah. They don't even need passengers. They just we've cracked it. Yeah. We'll all just stay at home and Skype, <laughs> and the self-flying cars will take things yeah. to us, exactly. or carry the cats around. Uh, we also have a question. This one's from Ben uh, for Andy. Uh, what What do you have next after The Martian? Do you have anything planned? Well, um, I've got a pitch into Random House right now, and we'll see if they uh, we'll see if they like it. We're going to talk about it next week, actually. And um, but I don't I don't want to talk about it too much because you know it may change and stuff like that. But it's going to be another hard science fiction story. And it is it it's not a series. You're not doing a sequel, The Vedushin or something. No, <laughs> no. Um, uh, that that's another thing that I still I, I need to talk about with uh, with the publisher. 
But uh, yeah, so short answer is I don't even have an answer to that yet. Sorry for the, sorry for the <laughs> no, vague no. and non-answerish answer. There's but something coming. There is oh definitely no I've I've quit my day job and I'm going full time on writing. Oh now, right so. on, and so for both of you then, uh, both being authors of of hard sci-fi. I mean, would you consider yourselves hard sci-fi well, authors? I, I or? don't think I would, only because mm-hmm. I have uh, a deep respect for hard sci-fi. I tend to do high tech thrillers, and they're high-tech very thrillers. technically okay. accurate. And this one's more of a sci-fi thriller, but. I mean, if, if you read, I don't know, uh, Kim Stanley Robinson's Martian trilogy stuff like that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going in that much detail. Uh, that might be a little more high concept mm-hmm. in a way. So, but you still, it is very technical. A it lot is, of the stuff that you're writing is, about, yeah. and so I'm curious. You know, I don't know how much other kinds of fiction you both have worked on, or whether that be short stories or or other novels. Do you feel like when you go into the more technical kinds of fiction, what how is that writing process different for you? Ooh. I'll start with this, and I'll pass it to you, Andy. Uh, I I wrote the types of books I wanted to read. That was, it was that simple. I just I read one too many tech thriller that basically pissed me off. I was like, oh come on, you know, just try to learn a little, and and that's how Demon came about. Was I I just started toying around with it because at the time I was writing logistics software for a big company, and I started for various reasons, uh, which I won't go into here started pondering what you could do in modern society if you were dead. You know, why, why do you have to be alive to get stuff done, that type of thing. And I, I really tried to think that through in a realistic way. And it led in an interesting direction and wrote a book about that. But I've always just been interested in tech. That's, it boils down, it's that simple. I was convinced when I, I got my rejections for the manuscript when I tried to, to get an agent, and they said it was too technical. And I really felt that technology is mainstream now, that it's not some esoteric thing that people aren't interested in. We live and breathe it. And so I just kind of went with it, and it worked out. I, I'd be curious how, how you feel about that, Andy. That's funny because I have a very similar feeling in that, like, um, first off, exactly as you say, I try to write the kinds of books that I would like to read. And then second off, I also get annoyed at, like, at inaccuracies, although in, in my case it's all about like the space program, space travel, and you know stories that are like, oh well, we'll just go to Mars. I'm like, getting to Mars is a really difficult <laughs> thing to do, and unless you're going to say you're way, way in the future where new stuff. Anyway, so yeah, and but uh, you you asked how it's different than writing other kinds of stories, and I, I've I've dabbled around. Uh, my previous books are. Um, definitely soft science fiction and stuff. And the biggest difference is all the research because uh, no matter how much you know about the subject material, once you start writing a book about it, there's a whole bunch of stuff you don't know that you need to go research. And um, yeah, so I, I did a lot of uh, research for for my for my book. I'm sure Daniel did as well. Oh, that's fun, though. It is. It is. I I really enjoy that. You know, I I set aside a certain amount of time per day to write so that I'm not a lazy bum that watches TV all day. And um, and I say like, well, writing the research is part of my writing and that that i just love i could just do that all day i'm like oh i'm gonna figure out how to do this figure out how to do that figure out and then it's like okay now i actually have to put words into a word processor and okay now that was something because i i try i tried to i wrote a a, a short story that was hard sci-fi and i found myself just kind of i would get to the part where i have to talk about the technology and i just go tk 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 gonna fill that in later (laughs) then you go back and you know exactly what you have to research there you go perfect all right great advice uh Something just struck me, and I'm sure it struck other people earlier if they were listening. And and maybe this is intentional. I don't know. Uh, BTC, often short for Bitcoin. 
Yeah, you know, not intentional. Okay. Actually, uh, in in based on my inbox, an unfortunate coincidence because, of course, people are reading significance into that. It's three letters, and there's a number of very disturbing things that have BTC as an acronym. So, Bitcoin is one of them, um, and. No, just a coincidence. All right. That's what BC, BTC wants you to think. That's what Satoshi told you to say. That's, it's all part of the plan. Can you confirm right now that you are not Satoshi Nakamoto? Yeah, no, I can definitely confirm. So we haven't actually gone into uh, what the books are about, and I think that's something that maybe if, if listeners out there aren't familiar with your work, uh, just give us a quick you know, rundown of, of, of the latest story. Okay, well, The Martian is the story of an astronaut who gets stranded on Mars, uh, due to um, a sandstorm uh, comes by during a manned mission where there were six crew members and he gets hit by a, a piece of antenna and the rest of his crew are convinced that he's dead because it ruined his biomonitor computer and they can't physically see him, but they did see that his suit lost pressure. Anyway, they had to evacuate. And then uh, when he wakes up again, he has survived and the crew is gone and the communication array is is offline and he has to survive. And so it's all about him trying to stay alive just with the equipment that was there for the one-month Mars mission. Okay, and Influx is about a very gifted young physicist who creates a technology that is a gravity mirror. It can reflect uh, gravity. And rather than win the Nobel Prize, he's grabbed by this BTC organization, which is a shadowy organization that tries to contain radical new innovations that they feel might disrupt society. And they have, of course, been doing this for several decades, so they have the benefit of other massive innovations like fusion and artificial intelligence to help them do their job. So they are, in effect, living in our future, and so they are uh, keeping the future from us. All right. Um, d- no, I didn't have a follow-up. You, you stunned me. <laughs> and and we, we've covered all of the, uh, yeah. the questions? Yeah. Does the cat have a follow-up? <laughs> yes. yes. Do you have a follow-up? He is right at home. I wish I could be that relaxed, man. Yeah. That cat is just really comfortable. He's just looking real happy. He's on her lap. He's reaching out and grabbing his... The, well, I was going to say, the one thing that... Uh, and we already asked you this question, Andy, but uh, do you have anything in the works already for a next project? Oh, you might appreciate this, because okay. I get this every time. And, and the reality today is, if I'm writing a 140,000-word novel, this is a question I can't answer, really. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I, I very, you know, I'd say that, yes, obviously I'm working on I'm always working on another book. But the truth is, if I tell anybody really even the high concept of what I'm working on and they love it, there's going to be 10 copies of it out as a novella oh, in two weeks on, on Amazon. So I always do my song and dance and say, oh, yeah, I'm working on lots of things. But that's really the reason I don't. So we're both just dancing around that question. Okay, that's I hope you're totally good with that. fair. <laughs> totally fair. You're going to get the question We're many always times, hoping but. some author's going to go, no. <laughs> just coasting. That's right. No. That's it. I'm, I'm done. It was, a, it, was a, it was a phase. I'm going That's to right. Disneyland. That's right. <laughs> so what are, you guys going to be, what are you going to share tonight uh, here at the performance? Should I start? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, uh, again, I'm going to do a reading. And that's tricky with a thriller. If you're going to do a reading, you don't want to give away any... Just read the last three pages. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> People be really upset, I think. <laughs> they, yeah. uh, save everybody a lot of time. No. Uh, but... I tend to make very clockwork-like thrillers where all the pieces fit in, so if you're... But I did find 
uh, part of a chapter that I can read that will give it a taste of what the book's about <laughs> without giving the, the whole show away and, and, and having major spoilers. Uh, but that, I always look forward to the Q&As as well. Uh, I find, especially when you write fairly technical material, you get ter- fairly technical readers, and then it's great. You meet all sorts of interesting people who have neat perspective on things that you might not even have heard of before, and so that's why I love events like this. Great. Um, for me, it's pretty straightforward. I'll just be reading the first chapter, which is short enough that it's um, that it can be contained in a reading. I'll be skipping over a, a section of it and just explaining something quickly. Um, and you know, I kind of hate doing readings. Um, you, you'll you'll see from my halting, clumsy reading style when I'm up there. But uh, I'll just get through that, and I'll probably read it too fast. I'm always trying to. I I always have to slow myself down just because I'm like, the faster I read this, the faster I'll be done. But uh, but yeah, like like Daniel, I love the um, I love the Q and A that 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 I, I I actually enjoy because like he said, you you get questions things you hadn't even thought of. Sometimes I get question deeply deeply technical questions about because they're like oh so you can be technically accurate oh let's see how I, <laughs> but I, I, I like those we, we call those well actuallys <laughs> yeah. yeah well actuallys nice I like it yeah. Do you have any tips on the readings since you've done a few of these? Well, I was laughing because I tend to agree. I, I have not done many readings because I always resist them. Uh, and, in this case, and, and there was a, a saying, can't remember the author's name, but I always love this quote, that I am the empty husk that follows my work around, in, in a way, is what he was saying. So the other thing is you don't become a novelist typically because you love to, to act in public and act like several characters. So uh, readings always seem kind of suspect to me. But, <laughs> but there's been occasions when I've gone to a reading that's been really great. Uh, I cannot guarantee that tonight will be one of them. But, uh, yeah, so I, I felt the same way pretty much. All right. Uh, we have uh, on our video author spotlight uh, some some super questions. I just want to ask super each of you question. one of these. Super questions. Uh, we have one super question for you tonight, which is if you could ban any word from the English language, uh, what would that be? Just a word that you're – or maybe even just put it on a like indefinite hiatus. Something that you're like, I'm tired of that one. I don't, I, I don't want to see it anymore. I don't want to write it anymore. You know you're going to think of the one you hate. Yeah, I, I, nothing I comes tr- immediately to I mind. I tried to extend that question as long as possible to give you a chance to... Yeah, you yeah. did. <laughs> you did, but um, was it, it wasn't you enough. Just, you guys love all words. I'm going to hand the microphone over to Daniel now because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to put in a, a provisional. Uh, Good, one, yeah, that works. Which is, uh, is it twerk? Is that the... Yeah. Twerk. Yeah, I don't need to hear any more about okay. that. I really don't. Uh, but... There's, a, there's going to be a mannerism that people are injecting into like every sentence that I'll think of, like I say, five minutes after this interview is over. You can email us. We'll put it in the show notes. Boy, I don't know. I mean, I, it's, it, it's, it's tempting to go for things that are like, you know, pop, pop culture words that you're sick of. But, you know, thinking rationally, like a scientist, that word's going to go away on its own pretty soon. On video. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, uh, boy, I, I, I kind of get sick of the word... Um, exploit when used to describe people's treatment of people as opposed to exploiting minerals or something like that. Um, I kind of feel like that's a really charged word that people... It's like if somebody says, oh, group A is exploiting group B, and I'm like, well, you're part of group C, 
And so if, if group A and group B are all fine with this transaction, then why are you judging them? And so I know it's a weird off-the-wall thing to pick, but I, I think I'd go for exploit when used to describe humans interacting. Good answer. Yeah. I don't all know right. if it's a good answer. Um, <laughs> one last wrap-up question. Okay. Uh, because Especially because you both have taken the path of starting by doing your work yourself and then getting the publishing later. Uh, what kind of advice do you have for people who are out there doing the same thing? Like, you know, taking a crack at this and saying, like, I, I want to write. I want to do this. I want to follow in your footsteps. Uh, I get asked that a lot, and I can't give any sort of formula for how you end up in our situation because, like, as, as we were saying earlier, we don't know. <laughs> I, or I, I, I can't speak for Daniel. I, I have no idea what I did right. Um, I didn't do any attempt to market the book. And I don't know. I, I don't know why it was as popular as it is. So, the only advice I can give is go back a few steps and say you need to write. You need to actually write. An idea in your head is not a book. It's not a book until you write it. And I would advise any aspiring author to. I know it's hard. Don't tell your friends about your story ideas. Don't do it. Make a rule for yourself that the only way they can find out about your story is to read it. That'll inspire you to write it because if you tell your friends about it, you tell all your friends about it, you get the kind of like entertainment feedback that you crave and then you're not motivated to write. Hmm. Anyway, that's the only advice I had. I think that's, that is dead on especially because also it tends to uh, I don't know, take some of the uh, velocity away from it. You get, you get that joy when you're talking to your friends and then you don't actually sit down and write it. Uh, the other thing that I would say, for me at least, uh, the big takeaway was don't try to find a publisher. Try to find an audience, and you can do that now because I know that that's actually how I wound up getting a deal later. Now, I don't, again, I don't know exactly why my book in particular was picked uh, by people uh, to purchase it, self-publish or otherwise, but it was the fact that I had an audience and I was selling books with some velocity at the time that got me my, my two-book deal. And then it just goes from there. So that's that would be my advice. Fantastic. Well, Daniel and Andy, thank you so much for, for sitting down and having a little chat with us before your performance. Thanks for having me. Performance? What? No, yes. It's you're very reading. Good. <laughs> you're, very good to sit <laughs> Your spoken word performance art that you'll be doing later. <laughs> yes. God. And of course, uh, podcast listeners out there, stick around because we will be having their readings as well as a Q&A uh, after that. So stay tuned. Hi, it's Veronica back in the present day. Of course, you can go back and listen to the rest of that episode. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so by emailing us at feedback at swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 4157sword6. And we'll see you next week with a brand new episode. Bye.